0: The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we are going to start reading at verse 12. Paul writes, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable. On these, we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So last week we got up to verse 13, and let me just, let me just touch on verse 13 because it's, it's, uh, it's significant for uh, Paul's argument. We won't rehearse everything up to verse 13. But verse 13 uh, introduces to us the, uh, the, the truth of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And when Paul talks about the baptism in the Spirit in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, he's talking about that event that we see, um, first of all, fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter two, um, one thing that um, that's important to remember is Paul's very adamant that every member of the body has been baptized in the Spirit. Okay? so you can't go to Acts and take the passages in Acts and try to defend the baptism in the Spirit as a post conversion experience that's only for some Christians that others have not yet experienced. We don't have time to go into the detail as to why you have um, these passages, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19, where you see uh, these events of baptism in the Spirit. But let me I'll just say just briefly, basically that follows the pattern of Acts eight of the spirit, you'll be my witnesses, right? And in Jude, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the apostolic witness of the gospel is expanding in those expanding concentric circles. And so Acts 2 is actually the fulfillment of, of the promise of Pentecost, uh, Joel 2, 28, 29. Uh, and then when you get to Acts 8, you have the Samaritans, and the Spirit comes on the Samaritans as a distinct event. Then in Acts 10, you have Cornelius. Spirit comes on the Gentiles. Cornelius representing the Gentiles as a distinct, in a sense, redemptive historical experience. Then you have the Spirit coming on those that had only been introduced to the baptism of John, these believers in, uh, well, pre-believers in Ephesus. And then they get the Spirit uh, when Paul Praise for them. So there's a redemptive historical significance in Acts. Acts doesn't provide us the pattern of what we're looking for in the Christian life. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 does. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us that all of us have been baptized in the Spirit into the body. And I pointed out last week that um, the ESV, by saying, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body that's better than the NAS the spirit is is not the agent of the baptism jesus is the baptizer you see that clearly in the in the gospel passages and in the acts passages jesus is the baptizer and he baptizes in the holy spirit and uh, and so the picture is this idea of of us being uh, uh, immersed into the fullness of the Spirit. Okay? And in fact, we're going to see that this language in Made to Drink actually complements the idea of being baptized in the Spirit. But this, but this baptism in the Spirit is a, uh, is a new covenant phenomenon. This is what's promised in the new covenant. One of the uh, the fundamental distinctions between the old covenant and the new covenant is that under the old covenant, you had people that were members of the covenant that didn't know God and didn't have the spirit. Some did, but most didn't. The, The blessing of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31 31 to 34, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, Jeremiah thirty-two, thirty-eight 38 to 40. The blessing of the new covenant is that everybody in this new covenant knows God and has the Spirit. Okay? So in other words, under the new covenant, there is no, no longer any such thing as not all of Israel is Israel. Okay. So under the new covenant... All of God's people have the spirit. All of God's people are not only born again, but the spirit of God dwells in them. And so it's this wonderful uh so so baptism in the spirit is is the uh, is the inaugural redemptive event whereby the spirit takes up residency in the hearts and the lives of his people. But the important thing to notice in the first Corinthians twelve passage is that paul doesn 't just say for we 've all been baptized in one spirit it's we've all been baptized in one spirit into one body so the so the so, so the baptism in the spirit is not just uh, an individual redemptive uh, event it is it is also uh, incorporation, okay? By the way, it is, it's fascinating when you think about the word incorporate because corpus is the Latin term for body. To incorporate is to be put into the body. So there is, there is, a, there is a corporate incorporation that takes place by the spirit when we are baptized in the spirit, okay? so this this is this is really something that that we need to uh be reminded of over and over and over again, and that is that when God saves us, he doesn 't just save us as individuals, we of course are saved as individuals, but we 're saved into the body so there is there is not just a, a a vertical sense of of salvation. There's also this horizontal sense of salvation. So I'm not just brought into union with Christ. I'm also brought into union with His people. Okay. So this is why a this is why uh, there are certain. Um, There are certain things in the New Testament that that would never be... uh, There are certain things in modern Christianity that would never be recognized in the New Testament. For instance, an unbaptized Christian. That would never be recognized in the New Testament. Why? Because when a person believed, they were baptized. Those things went together. So the idea of an unbaptized Christian is a, a concept the New Testament knows nothing about. An unchurched Christian is also a category that the Bible would not recognize. An unchurched Christian or a non-church-going Christian would be an anomaly according to the New Testament. Why? Because when you're saved, you're saved into the body. And again, remember, we're not just talking about some ubiquitous or ambiguous um, uh, universal body that's invisible we 're talking about the manifestation of the body in local churches so the idea of a churchless Christian is just as foreign in the New Testament as an unbaptized christian all right but american christianity is 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 not the most biblical expression of Christianity. So Paul makes it clear we're baptized in the spirit into the body, right? So you have these, um, you have these two really amazing things going on. And uh, I have a nice little quote there from Donald McLeod on the baptism of the spirit that I'm not going to read to you right now. And then it says, and we've all been made to drink of one spirit. Okay. Now, this, is, this, is, uh, this language is a little different. Uh, it probably comes from a, a text in Isaiah, which is a prophecy of the Spirit. But uh, I love, uh, by the way, if you want a great book on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, Don Carson, showing the spirit's fantastic. Carson says this, I think the verb potizo, which often means I make to drink, here bears another common meaning. I flood or I pour out as in irrigation. So the the connection between this verb and the Spirit is found in only one other biblical passage, uh, Isaiah 29.10 in the Septuagint, where it bears this meaning of being flooded or poured out. So God promised he's going to pour out his Spirit, flood a, a dry and barren land with his Spirit. The sense of the passive form of we're made to drink in this passage should be rendered, I love this, we were all drenched in one spirit. We were all flooded in one spirit. So the picture that Paul is, is um, portraying for us in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen is we're baptized in the spirit. So now as a Christian, we are think of a, the spirit as sphere or realm. We're in the spirit, but the spirit's also in us. We've been baptized, immersed in the spirit, but we've also been so flooded with the spirit that we're not only in him, he's in us. And by virtue of that fact, you're in the body. You can't have the spirit and not be in the body. I just... Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13 till your eyeballs fall out, and it's going to say the same thing. Then Paul says whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. So again, what, what is he doing? He's underscoring the fact that the, that, the, that the unity of the body is a unity that transcends all normal barriers. Okay. So of course, what was, what was the most fundamental barrier in first century Greco-Roman world, most fundamental barrier was Jew-Gentile. Okay. By the way, we, we rarely have the appreciation of how deep that divide was. Okay. Um, how would you feel if you knew that when you went to the, let's just say, Julie's uh, uh, Jewish, and we're first century and you live fairly close to Julie and you're a Gentile. She's Jewish. And you know that as soon as she gets done at the marketplace, at the Agora where you've been shopping, that she goes and basically bathes because she feels like she's been contaminated by all the Gentiles. Okay, The the racial and religious division of Jew-Gentile in the first century was deeper than the racial division in Mississippi in the 1950s and 60s. Okay. There was incredible animosity on both sides. And Paul says, because of what happens to us in the spirit into the body now whether jew or greek doesn't matter Th- that that fundamental distinction that's that's defined our society is absolutely irrelevant when it comes to the church jew gentile doesn't matter both actually have been baptized in the same spirit have been drenched with the same spirit, and are now in the same body. So Jew-Gentile distinctions no longer matter, which means that um, that whatever arrogance or whatever inferiority or superiority or whatever may have existed on either side of the equation, all of that's gone, should be. And then slave and free. Of course, slave and free. I mean, you 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 can't. Um, <laughs> we <laughs> contrary to what what some politicians say, uh, work is not the new slavery. Okay, um, we don't have any concept of what a slave society is like. Okay, we we just don't. Uh, we've not been exposed to it. Uh, the the closest thing that you That you can get to today is maybe the caste system that exists in in places like India, uh, where where you really do have two levels of society. Uh, The the caste system is probably a pretty good reflection of of what would have been the fundamental distinction between uh, uh, slave and free in the first century. Slaves were the bottom social rung of the ladder. Free were the top social rung of the ladder. And it's not as if you had a middle class that bridged them. These were the two strata of society and never shall the twain meet. Even though in first century Greco-Roman slavery, uh, it it wasn't chattel slavery like we had uh, in the United States. Uh, it would be uh, the kind of slavery where let's say let's say uh you were a doctor or even a lawyer or uh, some sort of professional it's very possible that you could end up a slave in the greco Roman world, for instance, if you had to file bankruptcy in fact, you didn't file bankruptcy you became a slave okay? but the slave caste was the lowest- re- regardless of uh, whether you were a domestic slave, regardless of whether, in a sense, you worked the, the, the lowest possible jobs or whether you served uh, in, in, uh, in, in prestigious areas. A slave was a slave, a freeman was a freeman. Paul says, in the body of Christ, because all of us, whether slave or free, have been baptized in one spirit, have drank that spirit, and are in one body. Now those distinctions no longer matter either, they're all irrelevant this is this is really such a, an important and profound perspective for us and you have to understand that you don't fix you don't fix racial or religious or social division by swinging to the other's end of the spectrum you fix it by the gospel and then realizing that those divisions no longer matter and in a real sense, those divisions no longer exist in the body of Christ. We think that somehow what we need to do is we need to swing all the way to the other side in in, in order to make things right. And the reality is, is the gospel is what makes things right. And it's the unity in the, of the body of Christ that makes things right. And it's the work of the Spirit that makes things right. And so constantly talking about the things that make us different is actually contrary to Paul's view of the unity and diversity of the body of Christ. Now, that ends up being vital because 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen is about the unity that we have in the body. But in verse 14, Paul's going to say something a little different, and now he's going to start focusing on the diversity. He says, for the body is not one member, but many. So now he goes from the oneness, the unity, now to the to the diversity. And the reason he's going to focus on the diversity is because you have to look at, uh, diversity always through the lens of that fundamental unity, right? So, so I'll just give a, a, a homely illustration. So, there are there are many of us that are very very different, right? We're just different people, different backgrounds. Uh, different gifts different abilities different i i mean all kinds of differences right now we we don't have the uh let's say the ethnic diversity okay not really, but the fact is is that we're all different people, and you don't need you 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 don't need ethnic diversity to actually have diversity so I look at myself and I'm different. And you're like, that, well, that's for sure. Okay. Then let's say Dawn. <laughs> Let me just say I'm way different than Dawn. Okay. But the thing is, is that the from the perspective of the body, the thing that makes that diversity so wonderful is the unity that underlies it. Because here you have uh, two people that under normal circumstances uh, wouldn't be friends, wouldn't be uh, comrades, wouldn't be uh, brothers, wouldn't be, I I mean, if if it weren't for Christ, right? It's not like I'd hang out with a 70-something-year-old geologist that needs his batteries replaced. So the diversity is beautiful and it's powerful because of the unity. Now, what Paul's going to do is Paul's going to start outlining, as it were, the significance of the diversity within the body. And he's going to do it by telling us that this one body, keep that in mind, one body, this unified whole of a body is made up of many members many different parts, many individuals that actually all fit together into that one body. Now, what Paul does in verses 15 to 17 is he starts to give some illustrations that make his point. And notice this. After stating the principle in verse 14, he he gives this... uh, this hypothetical, it's a conditional clause. He says, so if the foot says, okay, to keep the foot in mind. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Paul says, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Now we're going we're gonna to look at that phrase in a second, because New American Standard and the ESV, I don't think, capture the the force of it. So you have this foot, and the foot says, well, since I'm not a hand, I must not be part of the body. I want you to think about this hypothetical for a second, all right? Um, Don't want to push the the metaphor too far, but uh, let's say the hand is more visible in its activity, uh, than the foot, right? And so the foot's going, the hand gets to do all kinds of stuff. And everybody's like, yay, hand. And I'm the foot. And they put a sock on me and a shoe on me and they stand on me all day long. And I've got blisters and Bunions and ingrown toenails and and I hurt and I I just want somebody to give me some attention at night and nobody does. Nobody likes touching a foot. Thirty-one years of marriage. I still don't tell Ariel, but I still hate it when she goes, would you rub my feet? I'm like, No. All right, alright. down down by the heel. <laughs> you want me to rub your feet? No, don't touch my feet. All right, all right? I don't want anybody touching my feet. Yeah. Here, the, foot's, the foot's not glamorous. The hand's active, right? And so the foot starts going, well, if I'm not a hand, I must not be a part of the body. You kind of get a little bit of this, you know, this a little self-pity going on. And Paul turns around and he says, let, let me just summarize what Paul says. Paul says, that's a really dumb statement. Okay. So New American Standard and ESV both kind of miss it with, well, just because of this, it's not any less a part of the body. That's not exactly what Paul says. Paul's not talking about the idea of, uh, he's not addressing inferiority, okay? Because the foot actually isn't claiming inferiority, the foot is claiming, I'm not a part of the body. And Paul says, well, just because you say you're not a part of the body, Paul's not saying that doesn't make you a less part of the body, okay? That's true, but that's not exactly what Paul's getting at. Actually, So it's like maybe the second time in 25 years that I've said this. The NIV actually does much better. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. That's the force of it. Uh, Net actually does a, a fairly good job. It does not lose its membership in the body because of that. Yeah, it's, it's, that's the point, is that it's already a part of the body. This is not a matter of it being a less part of the body. This is the fact is, is that it doesn't stop being a part of the body because it says, I'm not a part of the body. Oh, do you think there's, might, there might be a lesson in that? You don't cease being a member of the body just because you're whining about not being a part of the body. And I I use the word wine as condescendingly as possible. Because that's what's happening here. So Paul says, "Well, that's really a dumb thing to say because that claim doesn't make you stop being a part of the body. If the ear were to say, I'm not an eye, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, the ear says, I'm not an eye. Again, very rarely does anybody say, you've got really nice ears. They're so symmetrical. The lobes are just perfect um not too much cartilage you know just just exactly the right amount i mean i've never seen such wonderful ears in fact most of the time ears are kind of weird looking right when i was a kid and maybe i'm just maybe my head grew into my ears maybe my ears are still big and i just don't know it but i had really big ears and so when i was a kid all my, all my really good little Catholic classmates used to call me Spock, which I never knew why they called me Spock, because it wasn't that Spock had big ears, he had pointy ears. But some reason, they thought that was funny. But nobody goes, oh. But somebody might say, boy, you've got stunning eyes, right? And so the ear's like, oh, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, It's just this complaint. And Paul turns around and he says, just because you say that doesn't mean you stop actually being a part of the body. In other words, your complaint is absolutely um, meaningless. It's futile. It, it, It doesn't represent reality. Now, I just want to say that the... That, that, that there are a lot of people that actually think like this, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that, that complain and, 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 you know, well, I must not be a part of the body, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not appreciated, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not useful, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I must not be a part of the body. And Paul would say, that's a really stupid statement. Of course, you're a part of the body, it makes no sense just to say because I'm an ear and not an eye. He, Paul's point is: listen, an ear is an ear, and an ear is a part of the body. And just because you're not an eye doesn't mean you stop being a part of the body. This is simple. Now, Paul then brings up two, in a sense, um, eh, sort of funny. Yeah, it's kind of humorous, right? If the whole body were an eye. So there's, there's the body of Christ, and it's just this giant eyeball. Paul says, where would the hearing be? So, if 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 that part that you're so envious of, if the whole body were the eye, where where would the hearing be? In other words, th- this would be a monstrosity. This would be grotesque. This would be absolutely um, a, a non-functioning body. A giant eyeball can do one thing and one thing only, and that's see. You can't hear. And then Paul says something that's, I take a little personal. He says, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Whereas if it was just a giant ear. <laughs> By the way, let me just tell you, not being able to smell anything is dangerous at times. So I was trying to mix, uh, I was trying to make a, 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 a smoothie the other day and Ariel's like, Turn off the blender. You're burning up the motor. Okay. (laughs) Take your word for it. You can't smell that, can you? Like, no. Can't. Just burn it up right now. So sense of smell, important. Guess what? If you're a nose, praise God. So his, his point is, so he, what, this giant ear? If the, if the body was just this giant ear, where would the sense of smelling be? In other words, he's presenting this grotesque monstrosity that's absolutely non-functioning. And so the question then becomes, why would the foot or the ear say such a thing? I want to pose two, two possibilities, and they both might be true. One, the foot or the ear could make such a complaint, maybe because of the elitism of the hand or the eye that made him feel inferior. Yeah. Yeah, look what I can do, you know. Five digits. Look at this dexterity. Look at the talent. Look at the ability. What do you do? you can't even move your toes like i can move my fingers so maybe it was maybe it's the idea of elitism by the way that 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 may be implied a little later in the in the chapter where one part says uh, i don't have need of you it's so very possible that, that, that a sense of inferiority happens because of an elitism within the body. It, it could also be, and, and maybe both of these things are true, it could also be a sense of, of gift envy, just being envious that I'm not what somebody else is and I'd rather be that than what I am. You ever, don't show, raise your hand, but have you ever felt that way? Sort of a. I wish I had different gifts. I wish my I wish my life was different. I wish my calling was different. I wish my my place in the body was different. I wish I wish I wish I wish. And for Paul, his his observation. I mean, it really it's it's not like it's overly tactful. It's just that that conclusion is just simply silly. Your logic doesn't work to claim that you're no longer, that that you're just not a part of the body because you're not a certain part, that's just not true. F.F. Bruce says, no member is less a part of the body than any other member. All are necessary. A variety of organs, limbs, and functions is of the essence of bodily life. No one organ can establish a monopoly in the body by taking over the functions of the others. Now, Paul shifts gears a little bit, and in verse 18, he tells them after this this conversation but now god has placed the members each one of them in the body just as he desired and so what paul is getting at is is listen uh, listen foot listen ear listen hand listen eye listen nose doesn't matter god has sovereignly placed each member in the body just as he himself has desired now by the way what what is going on in verse 18 is it's a parallel of verse 12 Verse 12 is, the Spirit has distributed gifts to each member as he wills. Now it's, God has placed each member in the body just as he has willed. So in other words, what you have to come to grips with is whatever member you are, that's what God made you. That's what God desired you to be. And you know, there's there's this there's this, this this sinful discontentment that that comes when we just when we don't accept what God has made us and where God has put us. Now if you notice, the NAS says um in verse 18, but now that's not a temporal statement, it's a logical statement. Statement: The idea is something. It's it's emphatic. It's like, but in fact, or as a matter of fact, God has placed each member. By the way, that that uh, there's this emphasis on the individual. It's emphatic. God has placed one each of them. That's how the text reads in the body as He will, and so this is according to God's will, God's desire. And so, in a sense, if you're going to complain and say, uh, it, the foot's going to say to the hand, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, guess who you're ultimately grumbling against? Guess who you're ultimately complaining about? God. Some of you have read uh, Arthur W. Pink's The Sovereignty of God. He's got this this is really powerful little book, and... Never forget, Pink makes this statement. He says, if you complain about the weather, you're grumbling against the sovereignty of God. Right? Well, if you complain about your place in the body, you're grumbling against the sovereignty of God. You are what you are, and you're placed where you're placed because that's God's will. And then Paul continues the argument, and he says, if they were all one member, where would the body be? This is relating back to 15 to 17. The concern here is for diversity. So Paul's saying, you have to understand that the way a body functions is not that it's just one giant member. It's one body, but it's different members. And if you don't have the diversity of members, you don't have a body. Years ago... Um, during the uh, heyday of the uh, church growth movement, the there was a there was a principle of of church planting that was the principle of homogeneity. I can show you books. Donald McGavran out of Fuller Seminary. Principle of homogeneity. You know what that principle was? When you start a church, you start a church on this principle. What does homogeneity sound like to you? All the same kind. All the same kind. In other words, the the idea was, is you, you, because, because society is based on really this, this homogeneity principle of people, you know, so you look at New York uh, City, for instance, and, um, and, and what do you have? You have a, a Jewish section, you have a Dominican section, you have an Italian section, you have an Irish section. There's this homogeneity principle. People, people um, congregate together with other people that are like them, right? For Paul, he would say that violates the very principle of diversity. It's diversity in the body, not homogeneity of the body, that makes the body the body. And so this whole idea of you have to have different members. So verse 21 We'll wrap this up here in a second. Verse 21 says, and the eye cannot say to the hand. Now, notice it's sw- switched, okay? So earlier it was the foot to the hand. Now it's, now the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet. Now, I don't think the head there is reference to Christ, because Christ as head of the church would never say this to members of his body, but the head, so think of the important one, to the feet, I have no need of you. (laughs) There's just as sure as no member in the body could legitimately say, because I'm not that, I'm not a member of the body, so no member of the body can legitimately say to any other member of the body, I don't need you. Absolutely impossible. Do you know why it's impossible? Because the body is composed of parts that make the body as a whole function the way that it's supposed to. So you you can't look at somebody and think, well, they're not very useful. We don't really need them. contrary to the body of Christ. There's a, there's a great old uh, ancient fable, and it was, it was uh, around at the time of Paul, and the fable is that the more active parts of a body, so the hands and the mouth and the eyes and so forth, actually um, all agreed that what they were going to do is they were going to starve the belly. And the reason they were going to starve the belly was because all of these other more active parts had determined that the belly really wasn't working hard enough in return for all their efforts in feeding it. And the discovery of the more active parts was a painful discovery because they realized that they were all dependent on the belly being fed regularly. This is just folly, right? We do all this work, we put all that food in, I, you know, the you know, the mouth and the jaws and the teeth and you put the food in and the taste and all of that and it just goes down to the belly and the belly just does what? Well, the belly just sits there and just gets, you know, in some cases, just gets a little bigger and a little bigger. Doesn't really seem to be doing anything. So we're going to show him. Let's starve him. And what these body parts failed to realize was it was that belly that actually then distributed the nutrients of the food that was eaten to those parts so that they could keep going. There is this magnificent interdependence in the body of Christ. And the very idea that you would claim, oh, I don't need that Body part, okay? So forget body part for a second. Just, we don't really need that person. I don't need that person in my life. I don't need that person in my ecclesiastical orbit. Paul says, you you don't have a clue what you need. You don't know enough about anatomy or physiology to know what you need. We have older people. We have younger people. We have mentally and physically challenged people. We have really outstanding, successful middle-aged people. And at the end of the day, Paul is going to say, it's the very parts that seem so unnecessary that are actually really necessary. That's what makes the body the body. And so, this passage really drives home uh, a death blow to elitism. It explodes the idea, uh, it, I mean, it, it exposes uh, a blindness uh, and an arrogance about how the body works. If you don't if you don't think that these principles are 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 absolutely vital to the church today, just kind of look at what's going on in the American church and the, the the church that's built up around the celebrity and then the celebrity gets fired and then the church is in absolute disarray because it wasn't a body. It was an inverted pyramid. So this blows apart elitism. It also it also is a rebuke to isolation. It's a rebuke that to to those that somehow think, "I don't really need the church, I don't really need God's people." That view, by the way, is unbelievably common. Among Christians today, okay. I don't need the church. I've got my Bible, I've got my Christian radio, I've got my iPod, and that's all I need. And if that's your view of Christianity, you don't have a view of Christianity that's consistent with the Bible. It's the, 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 the foolish, arrogant man is the one who separates himself, Proverbs 18.1, and then he rages against all sound wisdom. Why? Because the person that thinks, well, I don't need to be a part of the body, is the person who, who, who inevitably thinks that he's the smartest person in the room. And if he can really get everybody else out of the room, then he'll really be the undisputed smartest person in the room. Because, by the way, if you're the only person in the room, then you are the smartest person in the room, but you're also the dumbest person in the room. I don't need the body. It's just like saying this. I don't need what God says I need. I don't need what God says I need. God says you need a foot and you need a hand and you need an ear and you need an eye and you need a nose and you need unseemly parts and you need seemly parts. Oh, that's going to be fun next week. But it all fits together and we all need each other. There is not a single one of us that is a spiritually self-sufficient Christian, that is designed to get to heaven all by himself. We need each other. And here's the beauty of it. And I say this with all seriousness. God knew 24 and a half years ago, That I needed Don Strachan in my life. God knew that. And gave me Don. And gave Don me. God knows what we need. And he's provided it. Don't despise it. Love it marvel at it enjoy it look around you these are the people you're going to spend forever with let's pray father we we come to you lord we we confess that so often our thinking is not in line with your thoughts and our priorities are not your priorities, and our convictions are not your convictions. And, Father, when we stray from those things, we do ourselves great harm. And so we pray, Father, tonight that you would, that you would help us. Pray that you'd give us a, a wonderful sense of appreciation for the diversity that's in, that's in this body. Thank you for everyone here. Lord, how we need each other. From the youngest to the oldest. From the richest to the poorest. The most intelligent to the least intelligent. We all need each other. Help us to see that. Embrace it. And love it. In Jesus' name.